So a quick, a quick reminder, uh, if you're new here, my name is Bill, I'm the pastor, and we um, are going through the book of Mark, and we're going through the book of Mark pretty, pretty intentionally, methodically, and so um, I'll give a quick recap, and then we'll j- get caught up to where we're at. But basically, uh, Mark um, is, is writing um, one of four Gospels, and he is believed to have been the first one to write a Gospel. This is the first Gospel that has been penned, so most scholars think. And it's one of what's called the Synoptic Gospels. I don't know if you care about that, but basically synoptic means basically similar. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all go through kind of chronologically through the life of Jesus, but they all tell the story, adding different details. They're writing to different audiences, and so they oftentimes kind of go together. Mark specifically was an attendant to the Apostle Peter. And it's tradition in the church that says that The church came to Mark and said, Mark, you spent all of this time and you spend all of this time with Peter. Would you please write down um, all of what you observe um, through Peter's life and get his experiences from Jesus and write those things down? And so that is believed to be why we have the gospel of Mark today. At least church tradition says that. But in any case, Jesus got a good start to his ministry. He was baptized in the Jordan River. He was tested in the, in the desert. He came out of that and he picked his team, his disciples, to, to lock arms with him and carry out the mission of ushering God's kingdom here on earth in this very, very special way. And after that period of time, he came to this town of Capernaum. And in Capernaum, this is the actual site of Capernaum today, and um, in Capernaum he did a couple of important things. And one of, one of those things that he did was right here, this is the temple um, where, where the end of chapter 1 takes place. Jesus shows up and he preaches a message and he blows people away uh, because he speaks for the first time as somebody that actually knows, not just knows what they're talking about, but believes and has uh, conviction about what they're talking about. So the people are blown away by this. And then, right after that, um, a demon speaks up through a man in the service, disrupts the service, and Jesus casts out that demon. And uh, so, it was a lively church service there on this synagogue Sunday morning, and or Sabbath morning. And uh, after church, they did what a lot of you are going to do today. You're going to have Sunday lunch. And so, they left church right here and walked across the street to what is now covered by this dome, but that used to be Peter's mother-in-law's house. And they were probably going to go have dinner and watch a football game and whatever they do after, after church back in those days and recline. But Peter's mother-in-law happened to be sick. So they call on Jesus to heal her, and he does in a miraculous way. And then shortly thereafter, it says that the entire town, the entire town brings out everybody that is sick and demon-possessed, and they bring them to the door of the house, and Jesus spends an undetermined amount of time healing many of them of their illnesses and of their demon possession. And, uh, and so two weeks ago, we talked about the authority of Jesus, does Jesus have an authority in our life, the authority that, that he obviously seemed to command in, in the presence there, but does he have the authority in our life as well? And then last week, we noticed that after this time of healing, this time of service and love to the people, um, the next morning, the disciples got up and they're like, Jesus is AWOL. Where is he? He's gone. And um, it says in verse 35 that Jesus, getting up very early in the morning when it's still dark, he he slipped out to a secluded place to be alone with his father, to pray. 
and Jesus being both God, God, but in a man's body, was one of, if not probably the most effective, fruitful person to ever walk the face of the earth, yet he was still God. And the point last week was, if Jesus being God needed time to get away in seclusion, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in solitude, to renew his soul because of the busyness of life and the busyness of serving people, we need and must take that same, take that same pattern into our own lives and having time to, to step away, to be alone specifically with God in our lives. Because all of us, um, I know, we, we live busy lives. Uh, I, I see that, I hear that all the time. And so how important it is to, to, to close a book, to turn off a screen, to just be alone. Because what do people in our lives need more than anything else? They need us to have a fresh heart, a renewed heart that is, is very attentive to the voice of God, the leading of God in our lives. And that comes oftentimes through times of stepping away and being alone. But... Unlike, unlike um, what happens a lot of times, is it's only for a short period of time. Uh, you don't stay alone for a long period of time. The disciples finally found Jesus. They, it says there in the last part of chapter 1, they came, they found Jesus when he was in a secluded place, and they're like, dude, we've got stuff to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, we do. Let's go. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach. Let's go to all the towns around Capernaum, all the villages out in these hill countries, Let's go out there and preach. So for an undetermined amount of time, they take off and they preach and teach and heal and do what they'd already just done here in Capernaum. And that's where we pick up things today with our text when we come to chapter 2, the first part of chapter 2. What we're going to do, and I'm I'm just kind of geeked out, I guess, about about coming to this part of the of the gospel. This really is one of my favorite gospel moments, my, one of my favorite gospel stories. There's so many of them, but this is one, and this is kind of the reason why I really wanted to preach through the book of Mark so that we could really see some of the ins and outs of how Jesus lived life practically. And, and, uh, and so I just love this. So what we're going to do today is just going to make some observations from this text and, and really more of the main point or the bullet of the sermon is towards the, the later part. So I'm going to fly through this. So Get ready as we go. So um, the the first aspect here. So um, in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. So remember, he was out in those far towns and villages for some amount of time. We don't know. And then he, he came back. And so number one, it's obvious here, Jesus was in the house. So Jesus was in the house. Now, we don't know whose house it was. It could have been that same house we just looked at. It could have been Peter's mother-in-law's house. It could have been Peter's house. It could have been Jesus' very own house, if he had one. We don't have evidence that he did. Uh, it could have been Jesus' parents' house. We're not sure, but he came home. And I, I don't know if you can picture this, this scene, but he's been away. You know, I don't know if you've had this happen where you go away for a vacation or you go away for a conference and then you come back and you just want to come home and chill for just a little bit. That's kind of the picture I get. He sneaks in kind of the, the back slider door of his Middle Eastern home. He slips in and he's just kind of kicking it for a couple of days. But because Jesus is Jesus, he can't last very long and the word gets out. The word gets out that Jesus is, is home, that Jesus is in the house. And so what do people do? People 
start to approach, start to cram in, start to go to the house to show up. And I, I just, pause here real quick, I love that idea. I love that picture of, of people, you know, hearing that Jesus is there and just cramming the place, just filling the place up. It's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty awesome idea. And, and the reason it's an awesome idea to me is because I think that's what I want this place to be. I want this church to be a place where it's known that Jesus is in this house. If I was real charismatic as a preacher, I'd probably say, Jesus is in the house, you know, it'd be one of those, one of those things. I'm not, I'm not though, so I'll just stay right here behind the pulpit. But it, it, to me, it seems like that is what I want. When, when I think of Yakult and I think of the surrounding areas and, and people, they don't oftentimes even know we're here because we're tucked back in the neighborhood. But when they do walk by or drive by, I would want them to think, you know, can I, can I just go into that place? I mean, would I be welcomed there? Um, or do I have to know some kind of like, special language and have a secret handshake or something like that in order to be part of that. And I I just think, you know, I love this idea that Jesus was in the house. I want that to be the same way for us. Not just here, but I also want that in my home, too. Uh, I want that in your home. To be able to say, yes, this is a place where Jesus is at home. And by that, I mean, Jesus influences the way that we think, the way that we conversate with one another that when we sit down to watch something, he's with us. And we wouldn't be ashamed of it. Um, when instead of coming at each other when we're down doing barn chores, chores with pitchforks and things, we're, we do our household chores. I'm not talking from experience. But we're, we're doing household chores, and, and we're influenced by the presence of and the reality of the fact that Jesus is in the house. Um, so anyway, just, it's one of, those, one of those things, and I just say he was in the house here, and my question for you is, he in your house? Can you say that he is in your house? I told you we are going to move fast. Observation number two. Observation number two. It says, so, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. So Jesus is in the house, and people are gathered together. So in Jewish culture... It was different than our culture. When the door was open, anybody was welcome to come in. So if the door's open, you know you have an invitation. You don't have to get a text or you don't have to get a Facebook announcement. You can just show up if the door is open. And so people, in this case, they just crammed in. And like I said already, that is just the kind of place that I want us to be as a church. I want us to be kind of a church of of the open door where we can say, you know what? Um, this is a place where people can come, uh, where people can feel welcome. Uh, right after the service, you heard it announced that we're having, and Bill Mason, our elder who oversees our ushers and our greeters and our hospitality area, um, and that's a big thing. Hospitality, it's a, it's a big area for our church. The biggest of that part is that that's where the coffee comes from. That aspect. So that's one big part of it. But right after the service, he's going to have a meeting with the ushers. I think next week it's the greeters and then it's the hospitality team. And I just want to say to all of you that, you know, if you have a, a desire or a heart or you're not serving in any way and you want to be able to help out in a special way at the church, I see the ushers, the greeters, and hospitality is like front line ministry here at the church because I would expect that as we are influenced by the love of God in our lives, the gospel which we partake through the elements this morning, when we are in that place, then we are going to be oozing, overflowing with the love, and it's going to go out to neighbors and friends. And our culture today thinks when they hit a hard time, they think church. 
They think this place. And I want to make real sure that when they come to that decision to, I'm just going to go to church on a Sunday, I'm going to check this place out, or my life is such a mess, or I'm going through such a hard time, maybe I need something, I don't know what it is, that they're met here by a warm smile when they hit the front door. Uh, they're, they're met by a handshake. Um, they're met by a warm cup of coffee. Uh, a lot of those things that we can, can take for granted as regulars um, are big deals for someone that's new. And so whether you're going to come to that meeting or not, I want you to be real clear on this, that every one of us is a part of that ministry. Every single one of us in here is, is not here just for socialization. As a matter of fact, I would say that church is not a social event. Some socializing takes place, but church is a movement of God in the lives and the hearts of us. And when we come together, something special happens. It's the way that God designed it. And the world around us better feel that and better see that and better know that. So you are part of the ushering, greeting, hospitality ministry, whether you have an official capacity or not. I have more to say on that, but I'm going to move on. Observation number three. Observation three. The word was being preached. The word was being preached. Many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. This is cool. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, one of the other Gospels, non-synoptic Gospel, is the Gospel of John. And that starts off and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is known as the Word, so this is a fun play on words. The Word was being preached by the Word. Jesus himself was preaching the Word. A lot of times when you think of Jesus, we think of Jesus uncharacteristically and unfairly as just being kind of a... Um, and, I, and I, I say this very soberly, I think it's pathetic, but like Jesus is a, a wimp in a robe. And he's a guy that just goes around and, and um, is very meek, which there's some aspects to that. Um, because we see a lot of that. We see Jesus being very compassionate and very, very tangible, very real in people's lives. But, you know, yes, Jesus was a healer. Yes, Jesus was uh, out there um, doing good things in, in, the, in the world. But Make no mistake, Jesus was a preacher, and he came to preach the word of God. If you have your Bibles open, just look back to verse 38 of chapter 1. Again, after Jesus was interrupted in his quiet time, his disciples say, hey, come on, Jesus, let's, let's, let's get to it, as if he wasn't already doing important stuff in his solitude. But he says, all right, let's go to nearby towns so that I might preach there also. And even earlier, if we look back in verses 14 and 15, you can just jump back a few more, it says that Jesus came preaching that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, make no mistake about it, as a church, uh, we've been around oh, officially maybe not quite 60 years. And a lot of beautiful history has gone into that. And this church has done a lot of amazing things. I, I got a list from some of you. You just sent me some stuff. I was asked, you know, things that we've done for the town, 
here in the ministry here. We've done free car washes, soccer camps, clothing closets, uh, many different uh, plays and productions, annual campouts, clothing giveaway, um, financial classes, marriage classes, um, adventures, uh, Christians on the wild side, youth stuff, um, open gym nights, movie nights, couples dinners, couples counseling. Oh, and it's just the list kind of just goes on and on. Men's, women's, Awana. I mean, this church does so much great, and I am so thankful for all of the history that is there and also what we're doing today to be faithful to the gospel. Uh, but make no mistake, those things would not have a platform if it wasn't God's word that, that we stand on. That's what makes us distinct as a church is that we hold up the truth of the Bible and we live from it because there is so much out there today where, where it's not so much religion, it's social movements. And it's social movements without the character and the heart of the truth of the gospel. It's just people trying to do good stuff apart from the Spirit of God. So the Word was preaching the Word, and that's something that's always going to take place here. We will always hold up the inerrant inspired, authoritative word of God here at this church. All right, number four. Number four, and we're going to camp here for just a little, this will kind of be the, the place where we camp. But look at verses look, two, three through five. Um, number four, faith was being portrayed. Faith was being displayed. Just one of the observations as we read through this passage. It says in verse three, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down on a pallet the paralyzed man that he was lying on. And Jesus seeing their faith. Jesus seeing their faith. So we'll stop there. We'll, we'll, We'll continue that thought in just a minute. But many people today would profess, I didn't look up statistics because I'm not a big statistics guy, but people say today, yes, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm American, right? So I've got to be a Christian. Uh, well, we studied last year the book of James. And not just the book of James, but all throughout the Bible. And it's very clear. And James says it, that faith that doesn't have life to it, faith without action, faith without deeds, faith without works, is evidence of a dead faith, very very clearly. He's saying, if there's not any f- movement in your life, action in your life, then y- your, your faith that you claim, isn't, it's a dead faith. It's not a real, real faith. You can believe things in your head, but if those beliefs don't saturate your soul and your heart and doesn't transform you and cause you to want to go out and love people, then that's not, a, that's not a real faith. James later in that book says that you say you have faith. Well, yeah, so do the demons. The demons say that there is one God, but those demons, obviously, those demons are not Christians. Faith without works is dead. So we're going to look at these five guys, and I just think that I, I love this. There's just a picture of faith, because if you can imagine, they're lowering this guy down. They're lowering this guy down through the roof. We'll get to the details of that in just a moment. But there's a moment where it comes down, and you can just put yourself in that situation. Jesus looks at these five men, the paralyzed man and his four friends. And seeing their faith, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus goes and he does something. Um, So what are some of the aspects or the pictures of the faith 
the active faith of these four friends. First one, compassion. You'll notice this is all C's. This is to honor one of my, my mentors that I was a youth pastor under for nine years. He, all, every sermon, he had, he'd like pick a letter and his whole sermon would be, would be um, a C or an A or a B or whatever. So it makes me think of him when I, when I put this together. But um, compassion, love. You saw that with these four men. Think about these guys for just a moment. The love, the compassion that they must have had for this paralyzed friend of theirs. They saw this man and they, they knew that the only answer for their friend was to get, get him in front of Jesus. They wanted to do whatever means possible. Their love for him was so dear that they wanted to get this friend in front of Jesus. It makes me think of that popular passage that's oftentimes at weddings. You know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all of the knowledge And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. When Jesus looked at these men lowering their friend down and saw their faith, they saw a compassionate faith. He saw a a faith that was expressed in a loving way. There is a a world-renowned medical doctor who was asked, what is the greatest of all medicines known to humankind, and this doctor quickly said, love. So the reporter followed up kind of in a sarcastic, sarcastic tone. Well, what if that doesn't work? The doctor said, give him another dose. <laughs> give him another dose. And I don't know about you, uh, but there's been times in my life where people have loved me and my heart is hard, and I resist that love. And they could have done one of two things. They could have either continued to give me another dose, or they could have gotten frustrated with me, turned their back on me and say, I gave it my best shot. No more. Huh. If they're going to be ungrateful of my love, I'm so glad Jesus doesn't do that to me. And as we look at this picture of faith, is there anybody in our life that we've decided to not give another dose of love to because they haven't responded to us the way that we would like them to respond to us? Give them another dose. So they had a compassionate, loving faith. They also had a committed faith. These guys, I mean, they are super determined. They are super determined. They, they pick up their friend they, on, a, on a pallet or a stretcher or a mat, and they try to take him to the front door, but it's, again, people are gathered together. It's too full. And they chose to use whatever means possible to get their friend in front of Jesus. They did not let a single obstacle get in their way. It was committed. Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, for he comes to those who believe him, and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Their faith, their faith told Christ of their commitment to him, their commitment to 
one another. They knew that if they could just expose their friend to Jesus, then he would be healed. And they were unwilling in whatsoever fashion to back down from any obstacle. They weren't going to let anything get in the way of them coming before Jesus with their friend. They were super committed. All right, so this is where my next one, I had to use this, the thesaurus for this one. Chancy. Risky. Risky. This commitment to their faith, the compassion of their faith, also led them to take some pretty serious risks. And what was the risks here? They dug a hole through a roof to lower a guy down in front of Jesus. That's pretty chancy. And if you don't think, ah, oh, you think that's not a big deal. After church, why don't you try that? Just pretend Jesus is in your neighbor's living room and go crawl on the roof with your jackhammer, if you have one, uh, and cut a hole in the roof. I mean, they were willing to take a, a pretty serious risk. They didn't just kind of hang around and when they came to the front door and saw that it wasn't going to be very easy, um, they, they, they took some huge chances. Uh, they were willing to take some serious risks because they knew in faith that Jesus was the one that could bring healing. They knew that Jesus was the one that would have the answers for their friends. Next. Critical or urgent faith. Critical or urgent faith. One aspect of this story that really impacted me was just how quick, you know, or how thick that crowd must have been uh, for these guys. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have um, Andre the Giant to say, you know, everybody move. Familiar Princess Bride, everybody move. Uh, they didn't have a bulldozer. Uh, they they uh, didn't have, obviously, the strength um, but they saw the urgency. They knew that this might be their only chance. This might be the only chance that this friend has to get before Jesus, to get healed. This might be it. And so <laughs> they saw that critical nature of this, and they weren't timid. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. This is what God has given And so these guys saw that it was crucial, critical, that they got their buddy before Jesus. And so they did what is next, which is is pretty neat. They got creative. They got creative. I'm just kind of wondering, you put yourself in that situation, how might that conversation have gone? Here they are, they've tried to take their friend to Jesus through the traditional manner, through the door, but they couldn't. And so someone says, hmm, well, Jeff or Bob or whatever the paralytic man's friend, he really needs to get before Jesus. So let's put him on a pallet, tie ropes to the side of it, hoist him up on the roof, and then dig a hole in the roof. Like, wow, why didn't I think of that? Kind of a, kind of a crazy way to think. Now, in those, days, in those days, it was a little different than now. They didn't have pitched roofs. Normally, in most cases, the roofs of those homes were porches or porticos. So they were used to, that's where they would hang out, have their coffee, um, have conversations, was up on top of the roof. So sometimes there was either a ladder, most likely, or a staircase, but they still had to get their friend up there. They got incredibly creative. Um, now, uh, I don't know about you, but I am like, 
I'm creatively challenged. It does not fit with me. I'm not a very creative person at all. Um, and, and so if that's the case, you might be thinking, oh, no. Um, when I talk about bringing someone before Jesus in a creative way, what does that look like? Uh, well, uh, I just want to say there's, there's hope um, for this. And, and it's simply this, that uh, you lack creativity. You should do something that is probably the most creative thing you can do, which is give yourself the prayer for a person. Um, prayer is probably the most creative way that you can bring someone before Jesus. It takes care of any creative insufficiencies that might be in our life. Um, and and I, I say that because you think there's, there's a lot of churches and ministries that want to be incredibly creative and innovative, and I think that's really good, and I want to be that way too. I want to use the resources that are available to us, the technology that within reason that's available to us, so that we can communicate the love of Christ to people that don't have the spirit of Christ in their life. That's a great, that's a great thing. But ultimately, all those creative purposes mean absolutely nothing if people are not first bathed in prayer. They won't have lasting or eternal value if prayer isn't, isn't told, but, or isn't, isn't part of it. And the truth be told that when we pray, when we pray God creatively himself, God is the one who's the creator. God's the one, if we are creative, it's a gift from God. And I am jealous that you got it and I didn't. God is the creator, and as we pray, God uses the, the, the glory and the beauty of his own creative to bend the universe so that that friend that you're praying for, that that friend gets before Christ. He does that. Prayer, prayer in this, if we want to make a correlation in the story, prayer is our cot. Prayer is our pallet. Prayer is our stretcher. Prayer is our rope. Prayer is our creativity. Prayer, prayer is the tool that we have to bring others before Christ. And if we're not praying for the lost people in our life, those people who don't know Christ, then our compassion, our conversations, all of those things um, probably are just going to be temporary and not have a lasting value. Now, um, on the, on the, a couple things. In your bulletin, um, all of you should have um, one of these little cards. Thank you, Carrie, for making these cards up. Um, and it just simply says, my name, which would be your name, and then the names of loved ones who you need to bring to Jesus. The names of loved ones in your life who need Christ. Um, what I would like you to do is over the next, what, what do we got? Two fill-in-the-blanks <laughs> or so um, to fill that card out. Um, at, the, at the end, while we're singing our last song, uh, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass around um, Offering plates, which aren't for the offering. The offering boxes in the back if you have an offering. These plates that are going to be coming through are for you to lay that card in it. And um, we as elders, me, um, are going to pray specifically for the people in our lives. And I'm hoping that you writing them down would bring them to the forefront of your mind. I'm guessing many of you are already praying. But I just tell you how many conversations I have with people throughout the course of, of my week where they say, oh, if, if it wasn't for a praying grandmother or a praying friend, um, I wouldn't be here today. And, and so we have to be those that are willing to, to bring others before prayer. So I, I would just encourage you, please write those things down. I will be really depressed this week if at the um, end of the service I go to gather those and there's only like three of them. So you don't want me to be depressed, do you? I don't want to be depressed. So just fill those things out because it's about the most important thing that we can do. And, and if you fill it out, I, I promise you that it will get prayed for um, 
You're not going to be the only one praying for those people in your life on a weekly basis. Okay. Um, and then also, you think, well, how do I pray? I've just got a little tool on the back of your notes page. So if you didn't pick up a bulletin, if you didn't pick up a notes page, or if you don't have one of these cards, there's extras at the back table. But on the back, it, there gives you just a guide of ways that you can pray for those that need to be brought before Jesus. And uh, they're just great little biblical tool for you. All right. Moving on. Cooperative. Cooperative faith. Think about the cooperation that must have taken place between these four guys um, in order for them to bring their friend before Jesus. When I read the Gospels, the picture that we have, the reason we know anything about Jesus is because we've been given the Bible. Um, and, and so when we look at the pages of the Bible, what we see in most cases, not every case, but most cases, he was with people. Now, maybe sometimes there's only a few people, but he was most of the time with people. And, and I just come here to, to hit, hit this beat. You're all here, so maybe this is just, you know, beating a dead horse. Uh, but, but how important church is, how important we are. And I know that you, all like me, have people in your lives that, that think, oh, why do I go to church? Why would you go to church? Why would you waste a Sunday? Um, well, there is an aspect to our faith that cannot be alive if we're not cooperating together. It just can't happen. Um, we were designed, and we see the pattern by Jesus, um, that if you're, not, if you're not with people, on a regular basis, and it's just kind of a you and Jesus alone, then you're not being true to the gospel. And, they, and people need it. People need one another. Believe it or not, I know people that need Mike Shabos in their life. Believe it or not. Um, and all the rest of you, I just, it's easier to pick on Mike. We need one another. And, and so... Um, cooperation, a cooperative faith. When I think about what Jesus prayed right before he went to be with his father, what did he pray? He prayed this. I don't ask for these only, but I also ask for those who believe in me. He's talking about us. He is praying for us as his church, that we would be, he says, uh, through their word, that they may be one, just as you, father, are one, and you are in me, and I am in you, that they may be one. I'm not reading that very well. The point is, he prayed that we would be one as a church, that we would cooperate, that we would be unified as a church. There's an aspect to our faith where we have to come together and and walk together and work together and um, seek unity together. Uh, Mark your calendars, if you would, a way that we can cooperate together very, very practically. Uh, Mark your calendars for March 25th, beginning at 10 a.m. This is the opening ceremonies of... North County Little League, which is held here in the park right next to, well, right across the street from where our future church is going to go. And um, Marshall Adams, one of our elders, is going to be there. He's going to say the opening prayer uh, of the, the, the season. Um, and, and it is an important time. As I've talked with Judy Hunter, who's on the board, it's her heart, and I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly that she wants us as a church um, to show up and to be in prayer for the kids of this town, for their parents, uh, for the needs of this town. You don't have to announce it to anybody. You don't have to be in a holy huddle anywhere. You can be sitting there eating. I love concession food, eating concession food. 
um, watching some baseball and just quietly praying in the heart of your own uh, your own heart. And so it's March 25th. Um, we're going to be out of town, which is sad. I almost, if we hadn't bought the plane tickets, I would change it. Uh, but we're going to be out of town. But I would really like it if our entire church is represented there, just to say we. We love this town. We love these kids. And because of the love that we've received from God, we'll, we'll come and show our love. We'll show our support. Our faith will be very active in this way. We have five, maybe more, but I know of five business owners and individuals in our church that are sponsoring a team. Um, and it's not an insignificant amount of money to sponsor a team. And um, I know as a, b- a previous business owner, you, you can get... You know, you, it's, there's more fun things to get write-offs for. I get a new tool or a new toy for the business. And they instead choose to invest that money because they love this town in that way. And, and so um, I'd like us to come alongside and, and show up and, and support. Um, we have a number of kids in our congregation and a bunch of kids in Awana that are all... Actually, we shut down Awana early for the baseball season. So it is, it is an extension of this, um, of this minister. It's an extension of who we are and an opportunity for us to practically love. So mark that on your calendars, March 25th, 10 a.m. Um, okay, just, oh, just one more. Just one more. Costly. Uh, a costly faith. So uh, a number of years ago, I was out um, doing some shopping for a project with my father-in-law. And as we were out shopping, we got all of our wood, and my wood for my project that he was gracious to help me with, and we go to the counter, and I realized I forgot my wallet. Oops. He was gracious, and he, he was like, well, I've got it. I'm like, okay, great. It wouldn't be much of a story if it ended there, but actually I think it was the next day we went out to breakfast. And guess what? <laughs> My father-in-law uh, has learned that it can be costly to, <laughs> to go out with me. It can be costly. Um, there's a great cost to our faith. Um, in this case, I mean, it's a, it's a small parallel, but I'm sure it was no small thing to, to rip apart someone's roof to get Jesus through. I wish I knew more of the details of that story um, and what that must have been like. Like, who, who is saying, no one's like, well, who's going to pay for this? You know, I don't know that part. So I'm sure, I'm sure it ended up costing, it came out of somebody's pocket. Maybe my father-in-law's, I don't know. Um, came out of somebody's pocket, but, but um, this is a costly faith. And it costs us things to bring people before Christ. It costs us things. If it doesn't, there's something wrong. Um, because we say it all the time here, that we live in a world and a society, and we see it more and more and more, that, that doesn't like the things that we stand for, um, misrepresents the things that Christians stand for. And that's because, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, we talked about the world will say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. And our response to that is, it absolutely is, and I am one of them. Um, but so is the world. The only difference is, I just admit it. I admit that I'm a hypocrite, I admit that I struggle with myself, and I admit that I need a Savior that constantly walks with me, guides me, speaks gently to me, reminds me through his voice as well as through your voices in my life. Um, 
But we live in a world that doesn't value the things that we value. And as we try to bring people before Christ, it oftentimes affects um, our status in public. It can affect us in the workplace. Uh, It can affect us emotionally. Um, I know many of you, these five sponsors and many more, it affects us, it costs us financially. But really, when we think about it, what's the real motivation there? Does it really cost us anything? It really, the cost is pretty minimal when we think of what Christ did for us. The cost is pretty minimal when we think that Christ gave his life for me and for my sin. Um, so, but it still, it costs us something. It costs these guys something. Later in Mark, when we get there next year, Mark 8, <laughs> and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Will save it. Looks on the front of your bulletin. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, which he cannot lose. From Jim Elliott. Great quote. Great quote. So, um, that's a picture, a portrayal, a depiction of of faith, faith of these men, faith in which Jesus looked at these guys and said, because of your faith. He said, because of your faith, I'm going to heal your friend. It's actually not what it says. Look at your Bibles. This goes back to what I just said at communion. We see the number one benefit of faith. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, you're healed. No. He said, because of looking at their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, that's kind of a mind blower. What does he do there? Oftentimes, and I wonder what these guys were thinking. They're thinking, we're going to bring our friend to Jesus because Jesus can heal him. Did they know that he was going to say this? I don't know. We don't know that. Um, But Jesus knew that, and Jesus knew what was more important than healizing this paralyzed man's body. It was his soul. Jesus healed his soul by offering forgiveness of sin. That's what he did. The faith of these men brought in forgiveness for their friend, as well as, I'm sure, the faith of the paralyzed as well. Powerful. Powerful. And how I got to remember, when I bring people to Jesus... I'm bringing people to Jesus because I know the kids are having fun out there, aren't they? They're screaming, (laughs) hopefully. Uh, So when I bring people before Jesus, I know that it's it's the forgiveness of their sin that's more important than their physical healing. But, praise God, that's a way in which God brings about forgiveness and brings about healing later on. And you can read yourself this week later on because of a whole interplay that's going to go on with some religious stuffy people that are going to accuse Jesus of, um, of, of being a blasphemer, which he was, according to their definition. Um, scribes and Pharisees, they go picking on Jesus, and so what does he do later on? He says, all right, so you can see that I have the authority to forgive sins. I have the authority to forgive your sins, so take your mat, get up, and, and leave. And so the paralyzed man does that. But what's important? The the important thing, the first thing, is the forgiveness of sin. And we see that the number one benefit of faith is the forgiveness of sin. And we live in a culture of people that that are sinful people, like we are. And 
And ultimately, people don't go to hell because of the sin in their life. They go to hell because of unforgiven sin in their life. And so it is our job. It is our job. It is why we are here to bring people before Jesus through prayer like we talked about, uh, through compassion, through commitment, through creativity, uh, through all the other C words that you wrote down that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, It's our job to do that. And we do that because we have the greatest gift to offer. The only thing that can be a solution for them, which is the forgiveness of sins, which allows them to be in the presence of a holy God. And that only comes through Christ. That's why Christ came preaching. He came preaching the gospel of repentance. Um, As we close, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you yourself are in need of this forgiveness. Um, We know that those of us who walk with Christ are constantly in a process of needing forgiveness, but maybe you've never yourself asked to receive the forgiveness of God. And if you haven't, there's no greater reason to wait than to do that today. And that's why we're here. So I'd encourage you to to come talk with me or someone else here. And uh, we'd love to walk you through and pray with you and have you enter into this this beautiful, committed faith that we see pictured by these, these friends, these four friends.